and welcome to the Tandem Collective Talks podcast. Tandem Collective celebrates books, film, TV, podcasts and more with our global community. We're Jen, Jade, Lucy and Lex, members and friends of Team Tandem. You might already know us from Instagram or TikTok, but if not, it's great to meet you and welcome. We're here to chat to you about what's new in the world of books, publishing and film, interview some of your favourite authors and hear your thoughts on what you're reading and watching at the moment. You can find us at Tandem Collective UK on Instagram and also Tandem Collective Global. morning everyone and welcome to the Tandem Collective Talks podcast. This episode is about reading the classics. We would all like to note that we are recording this episode in the morning and we hardly ever record in the morning because all of us are caffeine dependent humans. I believe Lex has not even had a cup of coffee yet. Not a single ounce of caffeine has passed these lips yet so I cannot be held responsible for what I may or may not say. Have you, Lucy Jones? Are you caffeinated? I am. Not with coffee, but with I've had a vat of tea this morning, so I'm good to go. So British. Yeah. So British. So I'm on to the second, basically, bucket of coffee, but that's still very low on the caffeine for me. So you're going to have to excuse any giggling, general silliness, forgetting what we're here for. So reading the classics. I thought Because there's so much discussion about what a classic is, how do we define a classic, that it might be helpful to just start with a dictionary definition. So Collins Dictionary defines classics as a classic is a book which is well known and considered to be of a high literary standard. Would you kind of agree with that definition? Lex is shaking her head. Lex? I think so. All right. Here's the tea. And I think I'm diving in because this does equate directly to my problem with classics is that last line of must be of a high literary standard. I think that is what sets classics on a pedestal that makes so many people and myself included in this feel like I can't read them. Like I'm not smart enough. Like I'm not going to get it. Like it's not written for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then there are so many books that I can think of that I would consider classics which I would question their like literary status. Like I'm not sure if they're highly literary works, but I would consider them classics. Mm. So do you think we should amend that dictionary definition to say books you can boast about that might not be fun to read? (laughs) I... Mm, it's hard like my definition of a classic would be something that was a bit of a cornerstone moment for either your reading or like society of the the time of society or I feel like well also for me sorry we're jumping straight into this definitions wise classic in my head has got a correlation for regency or for things like Jane Eyre, Bronte, blah 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 And you can tell by my super nonchalant tone that I just don't care about these books. Mm. I think my definition... I shouldn't say that. No, it's okay. They're not humans. You're you're allowed to say that. I think, for me, a classic is more about how it endures over time and whether it kind of stands up to time. What would you say, Luce, how you'd kind of define it? Yeah, very similar to to that point, Jen. So I, I always associate a classic with something that has stood the test of time, is perhaps still 
popular isn't the right word because I feel that there will be a lot of people who agree with Lex and you know kind of don't feel obligated to read what are considered classics at all you know in the modern day but I just I think it is so it's just so interesting that it has to meet both of those criteria from the definition because you could have something that is of a high literary standard like can you imagine if nobody had ever buzzed about great expectations it would still mm-hmm. be, would still be of a high literary standard but just nobody would have ever read it and then therefore would it have made its way into the classics list probably not yeah I just think it's it's so it's so subjective and it's also going to change dramatically over time like what will be the classics in 50 years from now 100 years from now um very round houses way of answering your question no it was really good but also there was a word you just said Luce that I wanted to pull out because to me I think it sums up how a lot of us feel about the classics and that was obligated so I think especially when we work in we work with books we work across the reading community there are definitely moments where you feel like you are not doing it right or you can't be taken seriously if you haven't got that strong backbone of oh yeah I I read Bronte every weekend and I've read every Daphne du Maurier ever but I don't think it should be about that. If you don't enjoy them, like you don't enjoy them, Max, I don't think that makes anybody less of a serious reader. And I'm not quite sure where that has come from. I think it's societal pressure, maybe, because, you know, and again, think back to the time when those books were written. If people people would have been scholars or, you know, kind of they, the well-read people, where there was probably, you know, those kind of books maybe weren't as accessible to everybody. So the, there probably was a, an elitist element to them. And then now it's, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think these kinds of conversations are, are becoming more common and, and people are being more transparent about their views on classics. But there probably is still a bit of, oh, you know, do people feel that they're a failure of an English lit student if they don't enjoy any of the classics or they don't get any of the classics, which is not true. We're here to tell you. 100%. Hello, everyone. It's Jen. Please could you rate, review and subscribe to the podcast? It really helps us. And also, we just really like feeling loved. If you would like to chat to us or you have anything you'd like to recommend that we read, you can email us at podcast at thetandemcollective.com. So, Lex, have you ever read anything you would consider to be a classic and enjoyed it? Well, so yes and no. The reason that I'm on the fence is because I'm currently looking at the Sunday Times Culture magazine from the Sunday Times this weekend. Mm -hmm. And there's an article in it that says the 40 best books of the century. On the 100th anniversary of Ulysses, our panel of writers and critics pick the finest novels published since Joyce's classic. So it's essentially a list of all of these classic books that they think that you should have read. And I think I've read two of them one of them being The Talented Mr. Ripley, which I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have classed as a classic, but in the crime genre was definitely a a kind of turning point and definitely a book of note. And the other one is The Handmaid's Tale. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not sure I would have said that that was a classic, but it is now, I would say, in all of the formats that we've seen it in, very important to our understanding of that book. Since Handmaid's Tale came out in 1985, it's still relevant and entertaining and 
as disturbing as it was in 85 as it is now so I think that denotes it as a classic for me I think as well with classics there can be the way that people feel about them or reflect on them there's a lot of outside influences that can shape that because think about a lot of people are made to study or read classics at school you know like at secondary school I think a lot of people you know you would have read some Jane Eyre maybe some Austen and you know again that that's such a important period of your life and there's you know lots going on during adolescence and things like that that can I think really affect how you look back at a book you know and whether you have that positive or negative nostalgia about it does that make sense absolutely yeah. I think all of us who read for work can kind of admit that sometimes there can be less pleasure in reading something because you have to get through it than just because you've just picked it up and so having to have read something in education because it's on the syllabus it's always going to bring slightly less joy to it mm. so my dad had to read Emma for his O levels and I don't understand what on earth possessed someone to set a bunch of 15 year old boys Emma where there are four pages dedicated solely to her dress. You're so right. That kind of forced consumption of a book like that is never going to turn somebody into a, somebody who really adores that kind of writing. That being said, can we talk about adaptations? Yes. yes. So I thought what we might do is if we go to my interview with Sana, listen to my chat with Sana, and then we'll come back and go through our favourite classics, whether that's in book form or whether that's in adaptation form. Sold. Cool. We'll be back in a bit, everyone. You're here with Jen and I'm here with Sana, who is Books and Quills on YouTube, TikTok now and Instagram to talk Hi. about reading the classics. Hello, Sana. Hi, thanks so much for having me. What a good topic. No, no problem at all. So it's a really interesting topic because I think it's one that people are really nervous about, actually. Mm -hmm. Where do you think the hesitance to jump into the classics kind of comes from? I feel like there's this obligation to, besides just be able to, you know, read it and get through it, to really get it and understand it. Like there seems to be this deeper level of understanding that you need to be able to do to read a classic, which that expectation doesn't seem to be there as much with any other kind of reading where you just get to, you know, read it and enjoy it. And I think for me, the way that I've kind of gotten over that is that I studied English literature in the Netherlands and like English is my second language so that's kind of another hurdle especially in the beginning and it really helps to imagine yourself as a reader at the time because a lot of these books were written for the same reason that books are written now which is for entertainment and so kind of imagining that you're you know however many hundreds of years ago it is or just 50 or 100 I'm um, just imagining that you are a reader from that day picking it up because you've heard about it, it's exciting, it's supposed to be fun. I think going in with that mindset rather than I'm gonna to need to study this text and really, really get it, hopefully is the first step towards enjoying it more and finding it less daunting. Yeah, I think that's absolutely it. And I think I have had that nervousness certainly before now and before I started talking more to other readers that I 
would be hesitant to get into a classic in case, as you say, I didn't get it. And then I would feel that that impacted on how intelligent I was or how much of a mm-hmm. reader I was if I didn't get this mm-hmm. kind of subtext. But as you say, it's just about just pick it up and kind of give it a go and see how you get on with it. I quite often don't tell anybody I'm reading a classic. So if I don't get it, <laughs> I can always just Google and, and figure it out before I have to mention it to anyone. So then I feel like I have a master's in like English literature and I can pick up a classic and go, oh, well, I don't mm. get it. Or like, oh, this is hard. My favorite classic is Wuthering Heights. And I struggle to get through it sometimes. And that's OK. Like You don't have to understand every word, every reference. Sometimes I just kind of want to say, just go by vibes, just read, just see what you can pick up. You will get the story you will get how the the characters are feeling even if you read a whole page that makes you go oh I'm not actually sure what they're trying to do here but just kind of push through it and kind of take in as much as you can and you'll get loads of enjoyment from that I think I am exactly the same with Dracula which I would say is up there probably in my top three Mm -hmm. I've read it three or four times as you'll know it's a huge chunk of a book and I feel like I've lost months of my life to that book and at parts of it I genuinely am still not sure what's going on but I love it I love the character I love the setting I love the general vibe love Dracula but there are points of the book where I will read it and just think I don't know what anyone's doing right now yeah for Um, sure and I did I listened to it on audio as well to see if I got Mm -hmm. anything else from it that way and I did a little bit but I've just stopped giving myself a hard time if there are kind of chapters of it where I feel like I'm just completely lost and just go with my overall feeling definitely and if you're really invested in it and you do like it and you want to know more you can look into that and read a bit more background information I like I kind of have gotten into which I used to skip the intros of the classics like when you buy a penguin mm-hmm. classic usually there's a very good like, essay at the beginning I think when I was at uni I used to skip those and I thought no I need to get this reading done this week I'll just get straight to the book and now I've started reading those intros and actually sometimes they're so helpful for giving you that bit, bit of context because they are written to prep you for the book mm-hmm. and and I've read a few of the intros where I've thought okay you're trying to speak to fellow scholars you're not trying to speak to readers and make this accessible but some of the intros are very accessible so it's worth giving that a go as well I think and then maybe I can fill in some of the blanks in advance even yeah that's a really good tip so you you mentioned Wuthering Heights Sana what is Mm -hmm. it about that that makes it your absolute favorite It's so funny because it's such a little like disturbing, problematic in so many ways story. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but it's such a like, I think I love a doomed love story. So Mm. knowing that it's not going to end well, it's very dramatic. The setting in Yorkshire on the moors, the haunting, it's everything about it I love. And I recently visited the parsonage the Bronte parsonage where the sisters lived for quite a while and where they wrote some of these books and walking there and kind of seeing what their day-to-day life would have been like something that makes Wuthering Heights so special is thinking about this young woman living in this town and then how her imagination and whatever else inspired her got her to write this book I just can't quite put it together that that is what kind of makes it feel so special as well kind of thinking about the person who wrote it and maybe where this came from yeah that's that's amazing and that actually fits in really well to an experience I had with 
my favourite classic, which actually I'm going to talk about a little bit more in the outro as well. So Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, my all time favourite book. You can't see this because me and Sana are on video, but I've got <gasps> The Bride of Frankenstein on my forearm and then Frankenstein himself on my oh, upper incredible. arm. Incredible. My all time favourite book. And there's House of Frankenstein in Bath, which it kind of tells you the whole story of Mary Shelley. I didn't know and, that it's fantastic and it's almost a museum to Mary Shelley but then it also has kind of a cinema room at the top and just it's really museum and beautiful and I was so moved seeing it and learning more about her life and how she wrote and her marriage and you just you get so involved in it that yeah but I think now when we read if we really like an author, quite often we can just follow them on social media. Mm-hmm. So being able to feel that closeness with an author of a classic is just, it's amazing, isn't it? I'm going to have to say, have you read Romantic Outlaws? No. It's the biography of her and her yeah. mother. Okay. And it's written in alternative chapters. So like her mother, then her, her mother, then her. And yeah. it's huge. It's right. huge, but it's super readable. Like it's okay. 400, 500 pages. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I started it and actually it reads really, really well, really accessible. So yeah, as you, if you like that museum, then you'll love this, I think. I'm going to have to read it, aren't I? Absolutely <laughs> going to have It's to. amazing. Beautiful cover as well. That's going on my reading list. Okay. <laughs> so in the opposite direction, Sana, are there any classics yes. that you felt like you really should get on with and you thought you were going to that you've just struggled with? Yes, I recently read War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. I love apocalyptic fiction. I love dystopian fiction. And so I'm trying to very, very slowly make my way through some of those like apocalyptic classics. And I thought War of the Worlds, obviously, that's going to be totally my thing. I love that it's set in London. I always love like a you know, apocalyptic vision of London. Dave the Triffids is one of my favorite like sci-fi classics, also mm-hmm. set in London. And I listened to the audio version of War of the Worlds. There's this really great set, of, I think, three books by H.G. Wells. And then it's it's um, read by different actors. I think maybe this was even David Tennant that did okay. War of the Worlds. I can't quite remember. So I thought it's going to be an absolute winner. It's short. It's going to be exciting. It was so boring. <laughs> it was so boring I wouldn't recommend it to anyone even it was short that wasn't even worth it I was yeah I thought that was going to be a five star and I was very disappointed do you think that's because of how it's aged and that maybe it was fantastic at the time yes because I think at the time when it especially when they did the radio play people got so mm-hmm. scared and thought it was real and I think you do become sort of what was shocking at a certain point or you know totally new and exciting maybe now feels like you've sort of read it all. So yeah, I, I do think that obviously at the time it would have been a very different experience. So it's a shame I can't experience it like that. But yeah, for me right now <laughs> in 2022, it was not the one. So I think so many of the classics and so many of what we all think of as classics depend so much on their sense of timing, don't they? I mean, mm-hmm. I was thinking about what I think should be a classic in future. And I was even thinking about kind of children's classics. So like uh, Jacqueline Wilson and those kind of books that we've all Mm -hmm. read. And then I feel like the things that are going to hold that type of book and actually a lot of Stephen King books back from being classics is that they are Mm. so in the time that they're written. When you read them in 15 years or so, they're going to feel incredibly of their time and incredibly dated. Whereas quite often with the classics, 
it still feels so relevant. Yeah, I feel like it's such a, it feels like such a sort of lottery to see like what will be a classic in the future. Because so many, there must be so many incredible books from 100, 200 years ago that at the time maybe were appreciated for a few years and then got lost to time. Uh, And then now there will be an author that actually has read an essay about it, digs it back up, promotes it again. I think that happened to the author of Their Eyes Were Watching God, where Alice Walker had an interest in, I think, sorry, I wrote it down, Zora Neale Hurston, and then kind of brought her back to popularity. Mm -hmm. And so if I always, and there's also, I think, Austen lost a bit of popularity and then a biography of hers brought her back into it. So I, I feel like a lot of it, it says something about the quality of a book and how many people relate to it and what it says of the time. But then so much of it just seems random luck. Kind of, you know, what makes it through. Yeah, definitely. Because there's just so many books being published every single year. And then, you know, how many of those is it going to be a handful every year that maybe make it through to the next however many hundreds of years? Um, But yeah, I was was thinking about which ones. I, I think most of the ones that immediately came to mind that I think are sort of contemporary now and could be future classics are ones that I think some people might already class as like modern classics. So first mm-hmm. thing that came to mind was Never Let Me Go. Yeah, yeah. Which something about that feels like it's it's sort of like lost in time as in like mm-hmm. it's not set at this very specific date when I think about it. I mean, Station Eleven, especially after we obviously have a pandemic happening. I yep. feel like that's going to be such an interesting discussion in the future for people to talk about it already is right now but it might even be more interesting in the future and then I think Parable of the Sower and Kindred by Octavia E. Butler I think they're probably already modern like sci-fi classics Mm -hmm. I would say but yeah those those were some of the ones that came to mind for me I think well I noted down quite similarly to you I noted down Beloved by Toni Morrison but I think a lot Mm. of people probably already consider that yeah a classic and then I had Sarah Perry. So have you read Melmoth or The Essex Serpent? No, I haven't, but I really want to. I'm reading The Essex Serpent right now. Oh, it's brilliant. And I think, again, it's got that kind of timeless quality that I can see people in future reading mm-hmm. it and really loving it and enjoying it and seeing and it as a classic. And the writing is, like the first first few pages I've read are, like I would, I was sort of going into it going, okay, historical, I'm very interested. And then I read a few paragraphs and just thought, wow it's like every page is going to be something special I think that's it exactly I think now we just kind of see it as really really good contemporary fiction but I really think it's one that's going to stand the test Mm. of time but again I think you're right I think it's I don't know what the equivalent of Netflix is going to be in 20 years but whatever (laughs) somebody from that picks up and says actually we're going to make this book really sexy and do a a series that will be read and that will become a classic So, so much of it is chance. Definitely. Do you have any tips, Sana, other than the ones you gave us earlier, but if somebody Mm -hmm. wants to start with a classic, which book do you think start with? So I don't want to give a specific book, but I want to give some (laughs) tips so so people can, can pick their own. So I think it's very easy to fall into the, you know, these are the ones I've heard of. So this is what Mm -hmm. I should read. 
but it's the same as when you walk into a bookshop now you wouldn't like every book in there you wouldn't just if, if someone just randomly gave you a book and went read this it might not be to your taste at all mm-hmm. so I'd say start by following the taste that you already know that you have and yeah. then look for something a classic that matches that that interest or that setting I think that's probably half the work and then I think there's nothing wrong with watching an adaptation alongside or beforehand I did that with Shakespeare a lot I struggled with Shakespeare even though I enjoy it and I would just you know read a bit of it and then watch the adaptation to the point where I'd read and go okay yes confirm I understood what's going on or I didn't and now I do and I think that's quite a nice way of doing it as well and then also just looking at people who are already reading classics whether it's a friend or someone you follow online and kind of taking that personal recommendation I really want to read 100 Years of Solitude which beforehand from the description I would have gone oh I don't know if this is the one for me or if it's a bit difficult and then my partner read it and loved it and he keeps talking about it so I thought okay okay I'll I'll take that I'll take that recommendation and I'll go with that absolutely those are really good tips and like you said with watching alongside as well like Mm -hmm. when I was reading Dracula I think having any other format of it can be so helpful yeah also don't don't be afraid to just look it up online because people will have studied it so there will be notes and hints and tips that are going to help you with it and then I think my other one is probably don't be afraid to jump into a short story collection oh yeah Somebody particularly like Daphne du Maurier mm-hmm. has The Birds as a short story. And if you're thinking, I'm going to get into the Gothic classics, but you don't want to start with a big chunky book and you're nervous, just pick up a short story. And if you love it, great, you can read more. If you think this is really not for me, then at least you can say, yeah, I read that one. I didn't love it. I tried something else. Yeah, and I think what you're saying about audio as well, like I, I love to listen to classics in audio. And I think I have this idea where it's like certain classics I need to read in physical just because I've like built up this idea of what my reading experience is going to be. And then in the end, it means I didn't get around to reading them at all. And so mm-hmm. I think audio can be such a wonderful way of experiencing it. And it's almost like sometimes with certain books, like watching a play or sometimes it, it feels like you're sort of, part of the story even more yeah I, I Dracula I mean Dracula's I think the one I listened to was narrated by Mark Gattis oh brilliant and it was oh, it was so so good so yeah definitely recommend that as well fantastic all right thank you very much Sana that's been amazing I'm gonna let you go thank you for your help thank you bye today's episode is sponsored by our monstrous loves and great friends House of Frankenstein in Bath featuring all kinds of Frankenstein history, an atmospheric journey through Mary Shelley's life, an escape room and a particularly terrifying basement. This house is basically paradise if you enjoy gothic literature or like to be scared. This is a strange thing to say, but I'm sure nobody will be surprised to hear that this is my happy place. You can book tickets or see more details at houseoffrankenstein.com or House of Frankenstein Bath across social media. Thank you so much, Team House of Frankenstein. See you soon. Hello again everyone, it is Jen, Lex and Luce. It's still the morning and we are going to talk about that fantastic chat with Sana. Lex, what did you think? I loved it. I think Sana speaks really eloquently about classics with the understanding that not every classic is for every person. I feel like there's a lot of pressure within the kind of bookish community to have read certain things and I love that Sana can say yes, this one was great. I absolutely love this, but actually, you know, this was a little bit hard to get into or this wasn't for me. 
yeah I feel like she was the perfect guest for this episode she was brilliant Lise mm. yeah I thought very refreshing conversation you know really trying to reassure people almost that you are you know you you don't have to have read all the classics you don't have to like all of the classics that's not a reflection of someone's reading abilities also Jen I fully endorse your thought about Jacqueline Wilson being considered a classic further down the line <laughs> yes she absolutely must be surely yeah she's great I mean girls in love I was talking yeah. about this book just yesterday I can't remember who I was talking to about it I was us. it was you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course it was you yeah girls in love I can reference that book to most readers my age and they will know exactly what I'm talking about like I mentioned it to Luce yesterday and she was like yeah it's Magda it's uh, I've forgotten them already Magda Nadine and Ellie Nadine and Ellie yeah they were my best friends growing up that's a classic to me yeah that whole Jacqueline Wilson series I feel rite of passage when you're you know kind of going through your teenage years reading absolutely I feel like they were the step between reading children's books and then reading proper adult contemporary literature I mean at least mm. for me because they were scandalous enough that you're like ooh, but they're also age appropriate mm-hmm. and they when you think about it and we are like digressing now but I could do a whole episode on Jacqueline Wilson they did the books dealt with really dark content at some points yeah body image, yeah. Bullying. yeah yeah I think didn't one of the in the girls in love series didn't one of them have a thing with one of her their teachers or something she was writing letters to one of her teachers and then you've got illustrated mum you've got this really kind of hard relationship with your parents bed and breakfast star you've got people living in hotels because they can't afford their own homes so it makes total sense that people read these as children and then go on to read things like Jodie Picoult which I Mm. might say is like an adult Jacqueline Wilson can I say that? Do I want to go on record to say that? I'm not sure. <laughs> I think I think say that on record, but Jacqueline I stand Wilson, by it. I think I yeah, stand by it. She absolutely endures. So I happen to know a 14-year-old girl very, very well. And she is a massive Jacqueline Wilson fan. Her shelves are almost all Jacqueline Wilson. And I think from the first book she read, and she's read books that I was reading by Jacqueline Wilson when I was her age. She just loved it. And it all felt you know, super helpful, super relevant, moving, but it gives you a bit of an idea about life. And it just shows like, we we need those books as younger teenage girls, we need them. I think she will be, people will read Jacqueline Wilson forever, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, But in terms of, okay, what probably is considered classics outside Jacqueline Wilson, do you have a favourite Lex, even if it's an adaptation? So I've been thinking about it, and I actually read a lot of Shakespeare as a kid. And I was wondering, can I have Shakespeare as a classic? Yes, 100%. I think so. Great. Okay. Well, in that case, like, I was a drama kid. So Romeo and Juliet, The Tempest, Much Ado About Nothing. I know those texts quite well. Obviously, Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet changed my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that film is insane and I wish that I could have been Claire Danes every day of my life yeah um Leonardo DiCaprio has never looked better mm. oh I don't know I think Titanic edges it slightly for me really mm. it's the braces it's the braces 
<laughs> but thinking along more of the way that I read now, which is obviously a lot more crime thriller based, I haven't read any Marple or Poirot. And I think that's going to be where my jam is for classics. Yeah, that's I agree my prediction. For sure. Luce, how about you? So I did the usuals in school, you know, so I can remember really liking Jane Eyre. And again, when I said before about outside influences shaping how you feel about classics, I had a brilliant English teacher when I was about 15. Like I absolutely loved her. I remember pulling lots out of that book. So because there's there's such a big emphasis on dreams in it, isn't there? So I, I remember having lots of interesting discussions about it. So really liked Jane Eyre and I, I have reread that as an adult. But my favourite classic is Little Women, if that's considered a classic. Of course it is. I have read that multiple times. And I was trying to think before this interview about why I liked it so much. But again, I think it's coming, like what Lex was saying about, you know, she was a drama kid. I, you know, I come from a family where I have one brother. Apparently when he was born, I said I wanted a sister. I think I loved the relationship between like the four sisters and the fact that their personalities were also different. I think I like to maybe think of myself as a little bit of a Joe because I was really into writing when I was younger. And then, you know, talking about adaptations, one of my earliest memories of going to the cinema was when my mum took me to see the Winona Ryder film. And I just loved it. And and I just, it's one of those books that feels, even though it's a classic and it is still, you know, kind of a, a long read, that like you're not going to whiz through a classic in a day, but it just feels very comforting and, you know, quite a nostalgic book for me. I love that. Like Sana said, when you have to think about what you actually read and are interested in to choose a classic that's going to work for you. That's really true of all of us. So you're really a romance relationship, Frida Luce, and that shows through in the classics that you love. Lex is a crimey drama kid. And again, so Romeo and Juliet, heavy on the heavy on the drama and death. So yeah, that and mine are obviously the gothic classics like Frankenstein's my all-time favorite book. I love Dracula, I love the picture of Dorian Gray. So yeah, it really reflects in what all of us read now, the classics that we love and kind of go back to. Some of my favorite adaptations are of your favorite books, Jen. I can't remember if we've talked about this, but I feel like I would be surprised if we hadn't. But I really loved the 2020 Dracula adaptation that the BBC did that Mark Gattis did mm -hmm. and I think it was starring somebody called Clay's Bang okay Jen's Jen's throwing up hard hands okay good <laughs> we, we like him I liked that like it was interesting it was sexy it was a bit confusing but it was gothic and it made me go oh actually I do want to read the original yeah it was that was so good I feel quite often what goes wrong with Dracula adaptations is they make it quite campy and there's nothing wrong with anything being campy but they make Dracula this really kind of campy figure whereas it was played in the BBC one as he was this kind of dark sinister incredibly sexy guy and like that's how a good Dracula should be that was I love that adaptation it's my favorite Dracula adaptation I have wanted to read Dracula for years and Jen, does it upset you enormously to know that I've never read it? And it is no, that neither of us have ever read it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say something controversial here. 
I hold love up, hold the, uh, this is the audiogram <laughs> upcoming. This is the upcoming. <laughs> I love Dracula. Unless you really, really, really want to do it, I do not recommend that anyone reads it. Wow. It is a, a huge chunk of a book. Parts of it are incredibly confusing. Some of it can feel very repetitive. It is not an easy read. If you really want to be able to say, I've read Dracula, read Dracula. But do they as, do like a Cliff's Notes abridged edition? Like a children's <laughs> edition. My <laughs> first Dracula. <laughs> or Lex, we split it between us. You read the first half, I read the second half, and then we just brief each other about the deal. Um, yeah, yeah, deal. I think even if you do that, you're still committing to about 300 pages each. Oh, God. Mm. But it's one of those things, it's it's the curiosity, like, because thinking about, do I feel a pressure to read it because it's considered a classic? Or is it just, it's very different from classics that I am already familiar with and have enjoyed? Because it is definitely from that more gothic horror family. There is just a curiosity there, but maybe... Yeah, I can't promise you I'll read it again. Maybe I'll just watch the 2020 adaptation instead. Or I would really recommend listening to it on audio. So when I listen to it on audio, I think I listen to maybe a chapter a day for absolutely ages. But on Spotify, if you just search Dracula by Bram Stoker, there's somebody who's actually recorded it and released it in chapters. So that's a really easy way to do it. And it feels a lot easier to just break it down into into chunks and not get so stuck in the language of it so mm. yeah maybe I would I'll do that Ch- yeah. chapter, a d- chapter a day for a year <laughs> maybe I that's really what like... we need to do we need to set a podcast team like in the morning we get up we get a coffee we all put the chapter of Dracula on and then we have a two-minute chat about it I really like the suggestion of doing classics by an audiobook because I think it does take away that pressure like you say, if you've if you've got a book in your hands that's eight hundred pages long and you've only managed to get in seventy five pages that day, suddenly it still feels like you've got so much to wade through. Mm-hmm. But if it's just on your headphones whilst you're pottering, it takes away some of the pressure, mm. and it makes them seem less intimidating. I think that's the thing. Yeah. By people like I can remember, we had to read Middlemarch by George Orwell at university, and that's like that's an eight hundred pager and. It, there was there was a nervousness about that class compared to lots of the others and I, I do think people find them intimidating and sometimes you know there's probably a bit of pretense people find them intimidating but don't want to let on again going back to that pressure of oh you have to enjoy the classics and you know it, it means something if you don't but yeah I think that could have been a lot more straightforward if we'd listened to it by audio. I'm also not sure where this sits and maybe it is coming from this kind of recent trend of retellings and reimaginations that we're seeing. But I think I would enjoy reading classic adjacent storylines. So this is the story that we know and love, but this is the story from this person's character. This is this person's point of view. And I think the thing that's making me think about that is Hugh Jackman as Van Helsing. Mm-hmm. It was super interesting to see Dracula from that storyline. Yeah. Which is completely different to the BBC adaptation. But I liked the world, if that makes sense. Definitely. I think, Lex, that you can really appreciate the influence that the classics have had on who we are now and our TV shows and our 
our books without necessarily needing to love the very beginning of that classic you can kind of say oh I love what Dracula has been made into I love the kind of vibe it's given us without needing to love Dracula maybe this is the redefinition if something is so culturally relevant and important that it filters down so that somebody somewhere makes an animated version like Count Duckula oh <gasps> Yeah. Maybe that's how you know it's a classic. <laughs> Not only Count Duckula, but Count von Count. Do you remember that? From Sesame Street, I think he was from. <laughs> and he and he just, all Counted. he does is count. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, uh, uh, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, everyone, we have had a lovely time recording this morning. But I feel that we could stay here and chat forever. So we're going to leave you all here now. But we would love to hear your favourite classics, your least favourite classics, your favourite adaptations. And if you want to have a go at redefining the word classics, send it over to us by email. You can get us at podcast at thetandemcollective.com or we are, of course, all over the socials as Tandem Collective UK. Goodbye, everyone. See you later, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you haven't already done it, pretty please could you rate, review and subscribe on whatever your preferred player is. As always, we're open to your feedback. So please do hit us up at Tandem Collective UK on Instagram or using the hashtag Tandem Collective Talks. If there's anyone, content creator-wise, industry superstars or your favourite author that you think we should feature on the podcast, then let us know. Bye. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>